You guys can be seated. Thank you so much, Grace and Jacob. Those are awesome. Good morning and uh, welcome to the gathering of Recreate Church. Jacob, you just break anything you want, man. I'm just glad to have you up here singing with us. It's a big deal. It's a big deal uh, to have him with us. I just want to let you know, if it's your first time here or you've been here from the very beginning, we have a motto, and it goes like this. Some of you know it, and you can say it with me. No matter your story, you are welcome, you are wanted, and you are loved. So glad to have you here today. Today we have a special guest who's going to share with us about the Christian Academy of Petit Gawav. I just said it right. Did I say it right that time? Almost. Okay. Rachel Collins is going to come share with us. Um, this goes way back to the before the beginning of Recreate Church when we were over at the high school and we haven't even gotten brave enough to get up on the stage yet. Beverly Burton, who runs the school, came and spoke to us. And some of you were here when we collected peanut butter, all right? And that will help you remember that was for this school and for these kids. So I'm going to ask Rachel to come on up, if you will. Please give her a warm welcome. And uh, she is going to show us some pictures here and um, going to tell us about them. It's all yours. Good morning. I'm used to being in front of people, but I'm not used to the stage lights. So uh, as Pastor Michael said, my name is Rachel Collins, and in Haiti I go by Madame Rochelle. Um, The Madame is the title that we all have working at the school because of our position I'm a teacher. I teach primarily English and Bible at Christian Academy of Pediguav. The last T is silent because it's French and you only pronounce half of the letters that you see. Um, And yes, Christian Academy of Pediguav, to abbreviate, we go by CAP, just to keep it simple. Um, And Beverly Burton, she is the founder and the American director of the school. And unfortunately, she had to go back to Texas a day early, so she couldn't be here today. So you get just me. Hello. And again, I teach English and Bible at the school. I've been working there since 2016. Um, And I have four pictures to show you, and I'm just going to talk a little bit about each one so you can get a little glimpse into what we do. Oh, and this is my school uniform, by the way. This is not my uh, usual attire of dress. And thank you so much for the peanut butter. It is a constant need at the school, and you're actually going to see two pictures illustrating. Oh, here's the first one. So this is peanut butter in action right there. But this is a picture taken just in it's either December or June. I don't actually remember. But this was taken this past school year, and it's in a second grade classroom. Uh, second grade was the biggest class we had this past year. There were 30 students in there, um, which is a lot if anyone is a teacher. You know that it's a lot to have 30 kids in one room, and second graders can be a little bit rowdy. Um, And you can see the classroom. It looks pretty bare. That's because it is. (laughs) It's just white walls and a chalkboard, and the children have bench desks. And they are very grateful for those bench desks. Most Haitian schools have a dirt floor and partially finished walls and probably a leaky tin roof. Uh, We've been blessed for seven years to have a complete, building, so finished walls, finished floor, no leaks, although water sometimes comes in through the windows. And uh, those smiles are not just for the camera. That is the joy flowing through our children's hearts at all times. Um, 
Usually we try to start with a class of 25 three-year-olds every year, and then they progress through the school. Uh, ending in sixth grade, they graduate to seventh grade. Uh, however, because of retention, some of them, you know, they need to repeat a class, repeat a year of that class so that they can better learn the information, or some of them need to stay to earn, um, learn better social skills. That's how we ended up with 30 in that particular class. This coming year, the largest class is going to be 34, and they are kindergartners. So we have already hired an assistant for the kindergarten teacher, so she won't just be stuck with 34 five-year-olds. Um, but uh, the boy holding the plate, that is Wilson, and he is passing out peanut butter crackers. The boy with his arms in the air, that's Abraham, and he is like that all the time. And the girl in the background is Christella. So those are some second graders, and they're taking a break from doing their book work so they can have their daily peanut butter cracker. Um, Every day the kids get peanut butter crackers depending on age. It's a single or a double. Um, so we go through a lot of it. So yes, we do always need it. And you can see their uniforms there. It's a Friday because they're wearing an orange t-shirt instead of a nice button down. And the navy blue shorts for boys and the navy skirts for girls. Go to the next one. There we go. So this is a nice close up of one of our beautiful children. This is Ifanwella. Um, she last year was in four-year-old class. So again, they start in three-year-old class. We call it preschool one, we English people. Um, in French, they call it les petites, and then the next one is les grandes, and then les moyennes, and then they start première année, fondamentale, and so on. So this would be uh, les grandes, so the four-year-old class. And again, she is I came in and took pictures of them when they were having their peanut butter crackers because it's really cute to watch them eat them. Um, the little guys, sometimes they do go lick off that peanut butter. So the reason that we do peanut butter crackers in the morning, we try to get them out as quickly as possible, is probably what you've guessed. Many of the kids leave home and they haven't had anything to eat yet. They do get a, um, a full meal, but it's a little bit later in the day. So we feed the kids a substantial meal of manna pack rice, which is specifically designed for children in developing countries. It's nutrient enriched. It comes from an organization called Feed My Starving Children, and they operate all over the world. So we receive an allotment from them. We don't have to pay for it. We do have to pay for a supplement of beans to get a little extra protein, spices to give some flavor, um, which are Haitian staff tell us are absolutely necessary for the kids to enjoy it. And then the cooking oil and the charcoal, because all the food is prepared over charcoal fires. And we have two cooks in employ. One of those cooks will then come to the school and serve and wash a whole lot of dishes. And for many of the kids, eating at school Monday through Friday is the best meal for them. So you can imagine on the weekends, it's very light and they come to school quite ravenous on Monday. And so vacation times are also particularly hard. 2019, 2020, and 2021, there has been very little school, not just because of corona, um, but there's been a lot of political unrest in Haiti over those years and a lot of gang activity. So schools have had to close. Well, 
our kids are dependent on school for a lot of resources, including food. And as, again, as everyone knows, it's hard to do anything on an empty stomach. You can't teach children, and you can't teach them about Jesus if all they feel is that empty stomach. So we take uh, James 2, 15 through 17 very seriously when he says, you know, faith without works is dead, and it's no good to say to your brother or sister, go and be well fed and not do anything about it. So we make sure that we're feeding our children physically so we can feed them spiritually and emotionally. So this is Ifinwella, and she is enjoying her peanut butter cracker, and later in the day, she will get her plate of rice and beans. Usually the kids can eat as much as they want, and it's quite impressive. These very small kids have these heaping portions of rice and beans, and then many of them will go back for a second helping. And yes, they eat the same thing every day, and no, they don't get sick of it. <laughs> um, this is Anaika, uh, one of our fourth graders, and she actually died in May of this year from kidney failure. Yeah, it's been terrible. <laughs> uh, it's only very recently that I can get through this without breaking down. Um, so this is her in her hospital bed, and I know it's kind of hard to see because it's white on white, but she has a Bible in her lap, and she's smiling, and it's kind of a weak smile, but that's because she's been in the hospital for four weeks, um, and she's been on IV, and she had to go through hospital transfers, and she'd been suffering from a kidney ailment since 2017, um, but she was sharing with Madam Beverly, who was there. I was in the States at the time, but Madam Beverly was there. She's the one who took the photo. Uh, Anaika told her, my favorite verse, verses are 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18. And that starts with rejoice always, then pray continually, um, give thanks. Sorry, I'm going to lose... Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus. This little girl is dying. She's nine. And she's telling everyone else to rejoice. Um, and she, she didn't have any fear. The only time she cried was when she was in severe pain, which happened a couple times. It was very soon after this photo was taken that she died. And at um, that point, we had a lot of people praying, a lot of fundraising going on because the hospital bills were, you know, building up. And we had people working on trying to get paperwork so she could get a passport, a visa, come to the States, maybe get better care. They said at that point she was on dialysis, she needed a kidney transplant, but maybe even then. But she had been too sick for too long. Um, she knew where she was going. We knew where she was going. We wanted to keep her longer. <laughs> um, but she just reminded us that we need to, there is always something to be grateful for. And in Haiti, sometimes it's hard to see, especially right now when they have gangs and earthquake and the president's been assassinated. Um, but there's always something to be thankful for. And the first thing that I can usually see is I'm thankful for the children. And it's a hard place to live, but there was never a day that I got up and did not look forward to seeing those faces. Um, and now we can remember Anaika, and it's like, 
nothing is going to be too hard because look what she went through smiling. And we know we'll see, we'll see her again. And it, she reminded us, you know, just pray through it. Oh, I think you know that guy. If you don't, he's over there. Say hello, Philip. Okay, so um, that obviously is Philip, Philip Bolt. And he is with one of three and a half children uh, that he and his wife Jamie partner with who attend CAP. Well, actually, one of them has just graduated to go to seventh grade, so now I guess it's two and a half. I say half because there's another family who co-partner a child with them. Um, so this child, this is Kejana, and she will be going into fifth grade this year, although she's a little bit older, but she's been retained a few times because she struggles to learn. Um, partnership is incredibly special. It does involve sending money for the child uh, to help keep the school running, but it's more like choosing a child and it's more like living out Jesus' example of going to seek the one sheep that was lost. Haiti is one of the poorest countries in the world, and poverty isn't just not having stuff and not being able to go to the doctor and not having clean water. Poverty is your parents aren't there because they're trying so hard to work to feed you, or your parents send you to live somewhere else because they think you might have a better chance or your parents go to Brazil because they think then they can get a job and send money home. So poverty is you don't know love, you don't know what it is to be hugged because no one's ever done that. You don't know affection and you're just another mouth to feed so you're never told that you're special or you're worthy or that you can do anything right. You're just another workhorse perhaps. Um, Kajana has lived in a very small place with her single mom. But Jamie and Philip chose her, and this is visiting her at home, at her mother's home, and walking in there and not saying like, whoa, this place is, ah, this is a mess, I don't like this, like look at how small this is, like wow, I can't believe we're here. This is like, I love you, Kajana, look at how precious you are, Jesus calls you worthy. You are worthy because Jesus calls you worthy. And I'm proving that to you with this hug. I'm proving that to you with this remembrance of your birthday. And there's one time we visited them at home and sang happy birthday to them in the street and made a big scene. It was really cute. Um, and one of those, the first song we sang said something about, you know, we're all beggars before Christ. Like, we have nothing. Maybe we are the most successful, the most wealthy of persons. Maybe we have a lot of accolades. Maybe we even have all these good works built up and we look really impressive. Uh, maybe everyone knows our name. But when we come in the kingdom, we come before Jesus, that is nothing and we're just in rags, we're very underdressed, <laughs> and we all come from a hovel like this because Christ doesn't judge us on what we have or even uh, how much we do. Like, we can't earn any of his favor. And these kids, um, that's their literal situation. 
So it's, we have such a privilege in being able to reach out to them and assure them that it doesn't matter. Jesus loves you. He's chasing after you. And um, he's choosing you. He's calling you by name. And when people you've never met choose you and are praying for you and are saying, I care that you're having a hard time in school. I want you to do a little, I want you to try a little harder. I'm sending you money so you can have a tutor. Wow, what motivation that is. And that has really turned Kajana's life around. And I found out that she is actually very good at math. And I never would have known that if certain people hadn't paid for her to have extra help so that she had the motivation to try. Um, so many of our students have been partnered already. It's a little over 50%. But since we keep bringing on new ones, you know, um, we still need many of them to be partnered. And that partnership money, you know, it, it keeps the school running because it is a mission school. The kids don't pay. It costs about $6,000 a month to keep the school going. For 240 students on campus this year and 10 graduates, 20 staff, uh, Haitian staff, all of whom are paid, Beverly and I will be paid in heaven. Um, train of thought. <laughs> um, but again, it's not just about those finances. It's about the spiritual benefit for these children. So if you have any questions, I would love to talk to you all after the service, tell you more about partnership, tell you more about peanut butter, <laughs> tell you more about anything. Thank you so much. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you so, so much. Do take the opportunity to, to say hi to Rachel after and ask how you can help. And if for some reason you miss her, I know Jamie and Philip will fill you in. Do be praying for the nation of Haiti. They're going through so, so much down there. Difficult, difficult times and we, we just, we pray the Lord will have mercy on them. So much going on. Uh, pray for Mark as he travels back. Mark's heading back to Haiti here in a couple of weeks. So, Domain? Okay, okay, okay. I thought you were going back to the, to the Caribbean, man. My, my apologies. Yeah, we want to keep him here. Um, as we start the message, I want to do something a little different today. Uh, I want to have a stand for the reading of the Word of God. This is Revelation 21.10. We'll stand for the reading of the Word of God. We don't always do that, but we're going to do that today. All right. It goes like this. And he carried me away in the Spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me a great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray right now that you would speak to us through your Word, that you would empower us to understand what you're saying to us about this future that's coming. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys can be seated. So we have been in the study of the end times for a while. Just stay on verse 10 for now, please. We, we've been in the study of the end times for a while, and most of the end time stuff is, well, not very pretty. Most of it is wild, even scary. There's so many things going on that are difficult and painful and and the truth is it is going to get really bad before it gets good but when it gets good it is gonna get really really 
good. I am so thankful that I've gotten to the part of the story of the end times where we can talk about the blessing and the glory and the victory that is coming for those who have trusted in Jesus Christ as Savior. You see, today we're talking about what happens in eternity, and I am glad that eternity is going to be so much better than vibing on a cloud, strumming a harp, because that would be cool for like two days, and then like, I want to do something else. We will be doing something else. We'll be living out this amazing life in this incredible city that is called the New Jerusalem. We're in the book of Revelation chapter 21, that's where we're going to be hanging out today, and it is, Revelation is the record of what the Apostle John saw. The Apostle John was one of the 12 original disciples of Jesus, and he is the only one to live to an advanced age. At the time he writes the book of Revelation, he's probably in his 90s, and he has been banished to an island because uh, tradition says that they wanted to kill him for preaching Jesus, but they couldn't manage the job. God just kept protecting him. So they banished him to this island, and he has this incredible vision that he writes down in the book of Revelation. And after getting all through the wild and terrible stuff, he finally comes to the end and sees the vision of this city. This city he describes as coming down out of heaven from God. And he calls it the Holy Jerusalem or the New Jerusalem. And most of the time, people are going to know it as the New Jerusalem. Jerusalem, of course, is the name of the capital city of Israel going back 3,000 years ago to the golden age of Israel under, the, under King David and his son, King Solomon. And even today, if you look on a map, you will see the city of Jerusalem as the capital of the current political entity of Israel. But this new Jerusalem is going to be something so much better, so much different. And it's going to be huge in every sense of the word. Now, notice that this city is not spoken of as being created at this moment. It doesn't say, I saw God create this city. No, it says it comes down from heaven. So if it's coming down from heaven, where is it now? It's in heaven. That's my understanding, that it's in heaven. And you know what that makes me think? John chapter 14, Jesus told us, in my Father's house, there are many mansions. And he says, I go to prepare a place for you. I kind of understand this to be the place where the mansions are. I understand this New Jerusalem to be the, the Father's house. I might have that wrong, but I think we can find some evidence to suggest that, that The new Jerusalem is already in heaven. There's already people living there. And this is just the moment when it comes down. Believers who have gone to heaven, if I got this right, are already living there. So, if you got some loved ones who love Jesus, who've gone on to heaven, then I think they're living there. Everything that we're about to describe, which is future for us, is present reality to them. They're seeing the things that we can only barely imagine. So at the time when the Lord renews the universe, the city will descend from heaven to earth. It's literally going to be heaven on earth. We have a few people with some West Virginia roots and say West Virginia is almost heaven. Well, I don't know if this will look like West Virginia, but it's going to be real heaven on earth. So as we go through the rest of this chapter, We're going to be progressing through it, but not 
perfectly in order. So you're going to have to be paying attention. And my computer operator over here is going to have to be paying attention and ready to get the scriptures right because we're not exactly going in order. We're kind of grouping it together topically. So verse 11, now we're ready for verse 11. And we're going to follow that with verse 18. Reads like this. He's talking about the new Jerusalem descending out of heaven from God. And he says it has the glory of God. Her light was like a most precious stone, like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. The construction of its wall was jasper, and the city was pure gold like clear glass. That's verse 18. So this city is being described as being like a a transparent gemstone, and John uses uh, jasper as the gem he's talking about. If he had lived in our time, he might have said diamond. Because we think of diamond as the beautiful, clear gemstone, right? And uh, jasper, what does that look like? It's not a common stone in our time. It can be about any color. Back in John's day, diamonds were not a girl's best friend yet. The diamonds, they they hadn't uh, roped us dudes into buying diamond engagement rings. Diamonds were not an important gemstone. So he spoke of it as jasper. But we can get the picture of this brilliant gemstone does that mean like all the walls are clear crystal i don't know we just he just said it's like that he also said it's like gold that is so pure it appears to be glass we don't really have a concept of gold like that we do have the idea of gold being hammered so thin that it is transparent that's an actual thing it could be overlaid over glass or gems and it it would look this whole thing looks like a giant glowing golden Diamond, that's a beautiful place. Now, I'm a country boy at heart. I don't think I have any city in me. The biggest city I have ever lived in is Hillsville, Virginia. Population, about 2,000 people. I remember growing up as a kid in Dugspur, coming to Hillsville and being dazzled by the bright lights of Hillsville. Okay, wrap your mind around that. I'm, yeah, thanks. Yeah. Uh, in case that didn't come through on the podcast, the phrase was uttered, you're old. My mother uttered that phrase. <laughs> anyway, yeah, I, I'm a country boy at heart. And it would be hard for me to fall in love with a city but I'll fall in love with this city. This will be a city that you can love even if you're not a city person. So let's read some more verses. We're going to pick up verses 12 and 13, and then we're going to jump to verse 21, then jump to verse 25 that's all kind of talking about the same thing. So verse 12 says, and she, he's speaking of of the city in uh, personal terms, she had a great and high wall with 12 gates and 12 angels at the gates. The name's and names written on them, which are the names of the twelve tribes of the children of Israel. Three gates on the east, three gates on the north, three gates on the south, and three gates on the west. Then verse 21, the twelve gates were twelve pearls. Each individual gate was one pearl. And the street of the city was pure gold like transparent glass. Verse 25, its gates shall not be shut at all by day, and there shall be no night there. For most of human history, important human settlements have been surrounded by a wall. That will be the case here. And there will be 12 
gates in the wall of the New Jerusalem. Another bit of this tells us that the wall itself would be about 216 feet high, which sounds high until you find out how tall the city itself is, and suddenly it doesn't, 216 feet doesn't sound like much. These are the famous pearly gates. You imagine that, right? I mean, you, it, the pearly gates of heaven, every gate like a single pearl. What will that look like? I do not know. And you don't either. And neither does any artist who's ever depicted them. But it sounds cool. It sounds amazing. These 12 gates, um, well, they represent something. 12 is a biblical number of completion. 12, we're told here, is linked to the 12 tribes of Israel. The 12 tribes of Israel are the descendants of the 12 sons of Jacob. And they each became their own people group within the nation of Israel. Jacob was the son of Isaac. Isaac was the son of Abraham. God promised Abraham his descendants would be a nation. This is the nation. So each of these 12 gates is marked with one of the names of the 12 tribes of Israel. Israel is the original covenant people. Now, probably most of us aren't Jewish. Or if we are, we don't know it. Does that mean we're left out of God's plans? Are we left out of God's covenant? No. There's another covenant, a new covenant. And we're going to get to that in a minute. Okay, so we notice, verse 25, that these gates, are they open or are they closed? They are open. There is this image of the gates of heaven being closed, and you have to prove yourself somehow, and then they're, they're opened. There is the image of, of you die and you float up to heaven on a cloud. Not sure where that came from, but that's what Bugs Bunny said, so it's got to be right. Um, float up to heaven on a cloud, and you appear, and St. Peter's there, and he's got some kind of big book, and he checks all the records, and if you've been a good little boy, or good enough, then and you pass the test, or if this is one of those jokes that you die and you go meet St. Peter, you have to give some kind of clever explanation. And if you give a clever enough explanation, then you get in. Then the gates open. Now that makes a good joke, but it's bad theology. It doesn't line up at all with what the Word of God says. The Word of God talks about the gates being open. Who opened them? I'll tell you, the one who has the key of David. He's the one. He's Jesus. He's the gate opener. He is the door. He is the way. We don't get into heaven because we were well behaved enough or kept the rules enough. You can't pry open the gates of heaven with the crowbar of good works. It just doesn't work that way. Either the door is opened or it's not opened. And Jesus is the one who opens the door. So my best advice to you and to anybody is trust in Jesus. And the gates of heaven will be opened and nobody can close them. So we see also here the famous streets of gold. That's got to be nice. Streets of gold. I don't know what kind of traction you can get on streets of gold, but I, I guess it probably won't matter. We live in a world where it's hard to get a pothole filled. Okay, I've seen places where they, they planted something in a pothole. Um, something they shouldn't have planted. But anyway, uh, in heaven, I don't think there's going to be any potholes. God's so rich, he's using gold as pavement. That's good stuff. We can't get one fixed down here. If you dump a bag of gold in a pothole, I bet they'll do something about that. So just, just saying. Uh, the gates of pearl and the streets of gold are some of the most famous images associated with heaven. But as you can see, strictly speaking, 
They're actually in the New Jerusalem, which isn't quite the same thing as heaven, although it descends out of heaven. My understanding is it's up there now. So I think we are right to say that if a believer has left here, gone to be with the Lord, then we could fairly say that they've gone through the gates of pearl and they're walking the streets of gold. And I think that would be correct, even though it's not exactly the same thing as heaven. Verse 14 goes like this. You ready, sir? Verse 14. Now the wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. We're going to jump to verse 19. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with all kinds of precious stones. The first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire, the third chalcedony, the fourth emerald, the fifth sardonyx, the sixth sardius, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysopras, the eleventh jacinth, and the twelfth amethyst. And I recognize like three things on that list. The New Jerusalem is described as having been built on twelve foundations. Well, what's that mean? Well, have you ever seen a building put on like a concrete pad? Yeah, yeah. We, I preached under a tent on a concrete pad for a long time, and Lord willing, I'll be doing that this evening at 6 o'clock. So just let people know if they miss church this morning, we'll be back at 6 o'clock, and I'll be preaching on a concrete pad by a dumpster because we're high class like that in Hillsville. So imagine a building built on a concrete pad, except it's not one concrete pad. It's 12 layers of concrete. And they're not, it's not concrete. It's gemstones. Woo! Gemstones. I don't think we're going to do that here and now, but in heaven, if he can use gold as pavement, he can use gemstones as foundations of buildings. Imagine 12 layers of beautiful gemstones making the foundation of the building. And uh, the building is not a building. It's a city. The biggest city the world has ever seen and ever will see. And then we begin to get a picture. It's just really hard to wrap our minds around that. Each foundation has a name inscribed on it all right remember remember what names were put on the gates the names of the 12 tribes of israel the the covenant people of god the old covenant people what are the names that are on the foundations the names of the 12 apostles who are representing the new covenant people jesus followers so hey there we are we're in this so we have this list of gemstones I'm very impressed with John. If you were put to it right now, and we brought you up in this bright lights of this stage and handed you a microphone, could you name 12 gemstones? Would you struggle a little bit? I'd probably get like six or seven, and then it would start to break down after that. So I'm impressed that John knew something about his gemology. Not sure I could have done that. Lots of interpreters have tried to associate a special meaning with each of these gemstones. Kind of like we assign a like a birthstone to each month. I'm not exactly sure where that came from. Speaking of birthstones, happy birthday to my brother Keith Stevenson. It is today. Clap for this young man. He is younger than me. He, is, he looks up to me as his elder because I've been on this planet four days longer than he has. So I appreciate your respect, young whippersnapper. So, yeah. The thing is... The, the lore associated with gemstones wasn't so developed in the days of John. Honestly, we're going to have a hard time knowing for sure what he meant by some of these things. Uh, I have never else, in, ever, no other place in my life 
encountered the gemstone chrysoprase. I don't even know what that is. Sounds like Crisco, so it's probably a good thing. Um, but other than that, I don't know what that is. And uh, I've been, I've, I, had, I was that kid with the gem book who used to look it up. So it's going to be hard for us to pin down an exact meaning without imposing our own symbolism on it. So we need to be careful. When you're interpreting the Bible, make sure you interpret the Bible by the Bible, not the Bible by whatever culture is around you, because it may not line up and you might actually get yourself into a very bad spot. So I'm not going to list out the 12 things and say, hey, this one means this, this, and this, because I don't think we have enough information to do that. Anyway, this much is absolutely evident. It is going to be breathtakingly beautiful that even the foundation, even the concrete pad, so to speak, that it's set on is going to be so beautiful that it can only be compared to gemstones. I think part of this is supposed to create a longing for a place that's waiting on us. A longing for a place we've never been before. This place that our imaginations can just barely reach out and touch if we try to imagine something set on foundations of gemstones. So now we're in verse 15. And he who talked with me had a gold reed to measure the city, its gates, and its wall. The city is laid out as a square, its length as great as its breadth. And he measured the city with the reed, 12,000 furlongs, its length, breadth, and height, are equal. Then he measured the wall, 144 cubits, that's about 216 feet, according to the measure of man, that is, of an angel. So my measuring tape at home does not have furlongs on it, but Google tells me a furlong is 660 feet. Dad, did they measure stuff in furlongs back in your day? They were still using cubits? Got it. All right. Good deal. Um, So when you multiply it out, 12,000 furlongs is about 1,500 miles. 1,500 miles. Or for our international listeners, that's about 2,400 kilometers. Because like the U.S. and Thailand and Liberia use the standard system. And everybody else has moved on to metric. But anyway, so 1,500 miles, 2,400 kilometers. The New Jerusalem would be that big. 1,500 miles long, 1,500 miles wide, 1,500 miles wide. If you set it on a map of the continental United States, it would cover just about the whole thing. It would cover almost the entire continental United States. The height is what blows my mind more than anything else. 1,500 miles high. If we conceive of it like a skyscraper, it could have a half a million floors, and you still have lots of headroom. Lots, lots of headroom. See, the, in the physics of our current universe, what we consider outer space starts at about 62 miles, 100 kilometers above the surface of the earth. It's called the Kármán line. The, the New Jerusalem is going to extend like more than 1,000 miles into outer space. I don't think we're going to need a spacesuit. I don't think we're going to have to deal with any of the weird stuff that happens in the space movies when they don't have a suit. I think it's just going to be awesome. I love seeing the stars and stuff like that. I mean, uh, movies about space travel, I eat that stuff up. I want to boldly go where no one has gone before. I probably won't get that chance until then. Imagine standing on the 1,500 miles from here to California, basically, 
above the ground. Here to text, 1500. Anyway, it's a long, long way. It's a long way. Just trust me. It's a long way. Imagine you're 1,500 miles off the ground, 1,000 miles into space, and you got a view of the moon and the, the stars. That sounds awesome to me. Look, I would love to have like a, a, a penthouse room in the New Jerusalem, but honestly, I'd take the room next to the noisy ice machine that smells a little bit funny. If that means I can be there, something tells me they're all going to be good rooms. Our mansions in heaven are going to be good places. So I want to read a little more, and and we'll kind of land this thing. Verse 22. But I saw no temple in it, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple. The city had no need of the sun or the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God illuminated it. The Lamb is its light. And the nations of those who are served shall walk in its light, and the kings of the earth shall bring their glory and honor unto it. We're going to jump over verse 25, which we covered earlier, and go to verse 26. And they shall bring the glory and the honor of the nations into it, but there shall by no means enter it anything that defiles or causes abomination or a lie, but only those who are written, those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. So no temple in the New Jerusalem. Hmm, no central place of worship. Why is that? How's that going to work? Well, that sounds a little strange until we recall that what is the temple of the Holy Spirit right now? It's the believers. If you've trusted in Jesus, then the Holy Spirit is with you. There's nowhere you can go that God is not with you. That is both comforting and intimidating because you can't get away from God. He's going to be there with you. But that also means... Whatever thing you're doing in place you shouldn't be going, you're taking God with you. So that ought to kind of give us some hesitation there. In this day, we will be in the Lord in a physical sense, and we won't be able to get away from his presence in that way. So in this piece of heaven on earth, we won't need the sun or moon for light. doesn't say there won't be a sun or moon, I don't think, but it says we won't have to have them for light. So we might still get to see things like sunrise and sunset, but it's never actually going to be night because the glory of God illuminates it at all times. The light of the Lamb will light this city at all times. And if it's going to be like a giant, glowing, golden, transparent diamond, it's going to be a shiny, shiny place to be. What a wonderful place. Human beings start out afraid of the dark. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand if you're afraid of the dark. Because there'd be some hands probably going up. Um, We have to learn to live with darkness. Darkness is something we have to learn to accept grudgingly as humans. Some of us never quite get rid of our nightlights. But in this day, there'll be no more darkness. And as I understand it, we won't ever get tired and have to sleep. Now, that's the greatest miracle of all time. I don't know how long it has been since I woke up and really felt refreshed. Am I really the only person like that? Like, I mean, it was probably like three kids ago, maybe more, that uh, I woke up feeling like, oh my goodness, I slept and I feel good this morning. And my daughter is giving me the stink eye right now. And that's okay. I'm big enough to take it. Um. Yeah, that would be a miracle. I'd take that. Don't even have to drink any coffee. I don't know if there's going to be coffee in heaven. Kind of hope there is, but we won't actually need it. Just imagine 
everyone's going to be a morning person because it's always morning and you'll be a person. So we'll all be morning people at that time. So um, apparently there will be, we read in the scriptures, there'll be something like leaders and nations, but they'll all get along. There's another miracle, huh? That all the people, groups, and leaders and nations will be in harmony. That's a miracle in and of itself. We'd love to see some of that on earth. Governments that get along. Governments that that are doing the right thing. That's a miracle. So no more darkness. No more evil. No more deception. Just God and His people. That's the world that waits on us. I've spent weeks and weeks talking to you about this, this end times theology. And so much of it is... Well, frankly, frightening, especially if you're not ready for it. But it is going to get so much better, so much better. Some of you might know the name Squire Parsons. He was born in 1948 in Newton, West Virginia. He grew up here in his father lead hymns um, about heaven in a little church. And one that stuck with him was called, Is This Not the Land of Beulah? Beulah is a Hebrew word that over the years came to be associated with heaven. So Beulah land didn't really start out meaning heaven, but it came to be understood as meaning heaven. And um, one day, Squire Parsons was driving to his job teaching high school. And he crested one of those hills up in West Virginia. And he saw this beautiful sunrise. And he was immediately struck with this overwhelming sense of longing for a place he'd never been before. A homesickness for heaven. And he thought to himself, if earth can be this pretty, what's heaven going to be like? And when he arrived at his destination, he wrote down the words into a song, and, and he went on to become a quite successful songwriter after that. It's, the song is called Sweet Beulah Land. And I've been trying to decide if I've got the guts to try to sing it or just quote it. So are you going to sing with me? All right. Some of you uh, over here, I'm hearing a lot of yeses. Y'all being quiet over here. So I'm going to move to this side. Okay. If this sounds bad, I apologize in advance. But uh, allergies, you know. It's called Sweet Beulah Land, and I love the words. Elijah... You got the words up. You guys are going to sing with me, right? All right, all right, all right. I'm kind of homesick for a country to which I've never been before. No sad goodbyes will there be spoken. For time won't matter anymore. Beulah land, I'm longing for you. And someday on thee I'll stand. There my home shall be eternal. Beulah land, sweet Beulah land. I'm looking now just across the river. 
to where my faith shall end in sight. There's just a few more days to labor than I will take my heavenly flight. Y'all help me, come on. Beulah land, I'm longing for you. And someday on thee I'll stand. There my home shall be eternal. Beulah land, sweet Beulah land. Almighty God, thank you that we have a land that is so much better than this that's coming our way. And I pray in Jesus' name that you'll give us hope as that day draws near. Amen. Thank you guys for being a part of this. Be sure to speak to Rachel and to find out how you can help. Thank you for all you do. God bless.